We are going through a sermon series here through the book of John, Light in Our Darkness. And there's so many ways that Jesus is our light in our darkness, whether it's to, to, to bring hope in circumstances that, that are horrible and out of our control, whether it's to bring truth in the midst of lies. Jesus is light in our darkness. Today's text, as we're walking through it, is John 6, 51 through 71. If you want to turn there in your Bibles or Bible apps, we're in John 6, 51 through 71. We're picking up from, from last week's message. Notice I'm not wearing my African shirt here. So today's message should be at normal length. So it should be only about 60 to 70 minutes, all right? All right. <laughs> Have you ever had a meal? You're like, this is the best meal in my entire life. <laughs> We've got some Johnny Pellegrinos up here. Yes. Was it like one of that days that you had like six lobsters, you know, maybe one of those? Yeah, yeah. So, so, some of you may have that kind of memory where you're like, man, that one time, that one meal, whether it was a holiday meal or is over at somebody's house or uh, or, or, or it was uh, um, with some friends, whatever it may be, but you or your wife, your spouse may have made that meal for you because your spouses, those who have spouses that cook, they make great meals, don't they? I didn't hear enough amens there. Some thin ice. We're walking on y'all. Here we go. Here we go. It's one thing to have a meal that's the best in your life, but what if you sat down, you were invited over, and you were told, this meal will change your life. This meal will change your life. Thousands of years ago, the Israelites, God's people, the Jewish people, were in a situation where they were slaves in Egypt. And there was this leader named Moses, and he had been told by God he would lead the people out. But the conditions in Egypt under slavery kept getting worse and worse. The more he talked with Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, to say, let God's people go, the worse things got for the God's people. And there was a final judgment. There was ten plagues that, that God had brought on Egypt. And the final one was a judgment of death. And God has told his people, Death's coming, and it's going to hit everybody unless, unless you eat this meal that I prepared for you. This meal will save your life. It's going to change your life. You need to go and take a lamb and find this lamb. It can't have any spots on it. You need to kill it, take its blood, put it over your doorposts. That lamb, same lamb that you killed, you took that blood, put it over your doorpost, roast it. And I want you to make some bread. It's going to be like crackers, no yeast anywhere. Take some herbs and other things. And this is your meal. And I want you to eat this because you're going to get ready. You see, because I'm providing you salvation. But you got to eat this meal. You got to eat my meal. Because if you don't, death is coming you can imagine how some of the people were already questioning moses and his leadership at this time and to hear we got to kill a lamb we got to spread its blood and then we got to eat it and some crackers and it's going to save our lives 
Some people didn't get it. And then judgment came on Egypt. Those who received God's provision, those who ate God's meal, God's way, they were saved. And the next day, they were liberated. That meal changed their lives. Jesus speaks to us in the context of this feast that celebrates this event thousands of years prior called Passover. Jesus, in the midst of of this Passover celebration, speaks to the people saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I got a meal for you and it's going to change your life. Are you willing to eat this meal? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we come to your words, Jesus, which were confusing to the people then and they can be confusing to us today, they can be scandalous and shocking. But at the heart of it, Jesus, is you are God's provision for salvation. And if we don't come through you alone, then we will not, we will not be saved from judgment that we deserve. Lord, let us hear with your ears. Let us see as you see. Open our hearts. We, we know, Lord Jesus, even as you share this message, that we cannot see you as we should because of our own pride and our hardened hearts and our selfishness. So, Spirit, we need you to move in us today. Move in our hearts that we would respond to you. We would receive you, Jesus. God, and we would see that the the, the, the grace that the only reason why we do see is because of you. And we would be humbled and rejoice. In your name we pray. Amen. John 7, 51 through 71. Here we go. Ouch. Got to get rid of these tacks up here. What in the world are these tacks doing up here? Here we go. John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh... And drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue, and he taught them as he taught them at Capernaum. Now, when his disciples heard of it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who who did not believe and who it would would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus told the twelve, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? the 12. And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. As we come to these verses in this context here, those of you who were were here last week, uh, 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 for those of you who weren't here last week, I'm going to do a little recap Uh, For those who were here last week, you'll remember in the previous verses, chapter 6, 1 through 51, there's what's happening is this comparison between Jesus and Moses is what's going on. It's a big picture comparison. Moses was this leader of God's people in the Old Testament. He was a hero among the Jews. He was the one who led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. In the events called the Passover, that feast that I was talking about. Jesus is having these teachings in the context that they're preparing for the Passover. It's in the next day or so to come. And so they're already cooking up the bread and the food because they can't do any cooking during the whole week of the Passover celebration. So their minds, everything that they're, they're doing, they're thinking Passover. They're remembering back to the salvation that God brought through Moses. And they're also anticipating, we're in need of liberation now. God's going to send a liberator again. This is all percolating in this time, all right? Now, as they're also thinking of Moses, Moses was the one who led them out of liberation, but into the promised land. And into that, in that time, he did several things. He led them through the, the sea. And remember what happened at the sea, for those of you who know their Old Testament. What happened at the sea? What happened? It parted. It parted and they walked across dry land. And while they were in the desert, there was no food. What did God do? He brought what was called manna from heaven. All right? Now, in the previous passage, Jesus does these several things. We see several things that compare him to Moses, but show he's not just as good as Moses. He's better. We see Jesus through this miracle where he takes five loaves and two fishes and multiplies it across... 15,000 people, and they ate, and they were full. Then we see Jesus walk on water. He doesn't walk through on dry land because he can't handle it. Jesus walks on water better than Moses. Moses didn't provide the manna. God did. Jesus did the miracle of, of multiplying the fishes and the loaves. And Jesus goes on to say even one more, one greater, one better. Moses provided Bread, and they died. I am the bread of life, and I give eternal life. 
And they're wrestling with this. This bread that we, we read in verse 51, this bread is my flesh. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Moses. In fact, I'm the fulfillment of the Passover. That lamb, I'm that lamb that you ate and it's blood you got to spread. That lamb that we're going to eat here tomorrow, the next day, I am that lamb. Now, John, the, the author of this gospel, prepared us for this because he captured John the Baptist screaming and prophesying as he saw Jesus a year or so before. And what did he say? Let's look on the screen here. In John chapter 1, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is not just greater than Moses. He's the fulfillment. He's the one Moses was pointing to. He's the one the Passover was pointing to. Liberation's coming. But you got to eat my flesh. There's a meal. God's prepared, just like he did with Passover. And that meal is my body. you got to eat it. You got to eat it. You can imagine. So the people, verse 52, they're like, what in the world is going on here? How can this guy give us his flesh to eat? In the law, they were commanded, you cannot eat anything with flesh, fresh blood flowing through it. You can't drink blood. So Jesus, he knows the law. He wrote it, right? He's God. Just to be scandalous, you can imagine, you know, a little bit chuckle inside, knowing that he's pushing their buttons, saying, you got to eat my flesh and you got to drink my blood, knowing that's going to rile them up and cause them to be asking some of these questions. And, and you know, there's some of those weirdos out there that are sizing Jesus up and looking at him, okay, where am I going to start? Did you bring the sauce? Mama, did you bring the sauce? I'm sorry, I couldn't help but think that there's somebody out there that's just like, you know, they're, they're actually thinking like, okay, where do I begin here? The calf, you know, where's some good meat there on Jesus? I'm just weird, sorry about that. But most of them, most of them were appalled at this. Like, this ain't happening. We can't, this, how in the, this is gross. This is just absolutely horrendous. And yet, and yet, at some level, I, I really truly believe that they also knew Jesus. There's something he's speaking beyond here. He, there's more than to what he's saying other than we, it's, you know, you got to become cannibals if you're going to be saved. All right? That's just messed up. That's gross. Interestingly enough, in the early church, when they would celebrate communion, and they would, they would talk about eating the, 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 the body and, and, and drinking the blood of Jesus, the Romans actually did think that Christians were cannibals. That was a thing, and that was, that was some of the, the, the rumors that got spread about Christians. You know, oftentimes, people come and they engage. When we hear Jesus, we engage him on the literal level, but he's always speaking at a different level, right? He's speaking at a different level. How are we to make sense of this? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. 
Well, first off, we need to pay attention to how Jesus teaches, right? When Jesus met with Nicodemus in chapter 3, he talks about, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus' response was, how can I enter into my mom's womb? And he, you can imagine the poor man is trying to visualize how this is going to happen. All right? He's engaging on the literal level. How can this ha- Jesus isn't talking about a physical birth. He's talking about being born from the Spirit, a new life. When he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, and he talks to her about living water. I am the living water. You got to drink from this water that I give you. And she's like, give me this water. And Jesus doesn't give her actual water. It's a metaphor. Jesus does this over and over throughout Johnny. I am the vine. You're the branches. Jesus isn't talking about like, I'm really wooden. All right? He's not... That's not what he's saying. I'm the gate, all right? I need a little oil sometimes. I'm squeaky, but hey, push me open and you can get, make your way. No, he's not talking. Jesus uses metaphor to communicate a point. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What's he pointing to? Well, earlier in the context, John 6, 40, he brings this up. He says, this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. This is part of this context. It helps us understand. What is Jesus saying as He's using the metaphor of eating? Why is He talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? Because it's Passover, and He is the Lamb of God. And He's using a metaphor that's readily accessible. It's visceral for them right in front of their faces. They, They can smell it. They're going to taste it. It's something that's real and tangible right before them. What does eat mean? It means to believe, to trust in, to receive God's provision for us, just like the Israelites had to receive this weird meal in order for them to be saved from death and judgment. There's this weird meal of Jesus' body, his flesh and blood. We got to eat. Only his body, only his blood. What, what, what is it that these things symbolize? His flesh, as he's pointing to, is his death on the cross. His body broken for you and me. And why did this happen? What's the significance of this? If Jesus didn't become God in the flesh, if he didn't take on a physical body, he couldn't be crucified. It was necessary that God take on a physical body so he could take on physical death in our place. Because the curse of sin, the result of sin in this world, of our selfishness, that we wanted to be God and replace God, is death. We brought death in this world. And in order to reverse this curse of not just physical death, but there was a death that happened in our hearts. At one point in time, God created us to have relationship with him, to love him, to live in that relationship with him, but that doesn't, that doesn't exist anymore in our hearts. When we chose, I want my way, God, my way, not your way. You can do what I want you to do, but I want my way. Our hearts died as well. Jesus had to come in the flesh in order to die in our place. 
Romans 6 talks about the wages. What we earn from, de- from sin, the wages of sin, what we earn from that is death. All of us deserve that. We are on a highway to hell. And we are, we're hell-bent on that. I, as long as it's a my way highway, it's a highway to hell. And we're all headed that way. Not because... God is mean and, 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 and malevolent, and that's not because of the wrath of God that we're headed that way. That's our choice. We wanted that. We want our way, and we chose death, and we continue to do that every day. So Jesus is offering himself in our place. He's offering himself to take the penalty of God. And his blood that he shed as we see, the crucifixion was one of the most brutal forms of torture. And it wasn't just the crucifixion. It was the beating that he took beforehand. And we're talking just graphic, vicious stuff. The Passion of the Christ, that movie, really tries hard to really give us a representation of what that, what that was like. They had a whip called the Cat of Nine Tails. At the end were pieces of bone. And it was created that you were when you were whipped with that, that it would lodge itself into you, kind of like a fish hook with barbs on it, in order to tear flesh off your body. It's gross. But if we don't understand that he literally shed his blood for us. You see, God created a way for us to be made right with him. It was called atonement. Atonement. It's the way that we're made right with God. It required sacrifice and death. And it also required shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus pays your penalty. He pays our, we all deserve it, but he also removes our record. You know what Satan oftentimes does with us, right? He, he comes and he accuses us and he says, remember that? Remember when you did this? Remember how messed up you are? Or look at that, you messed up again. He can't love you for this. you got to hide. Nobody can know about that. He removes our record. No, I don't see your record. Not because I forgot about it, because I'm looking at Jesus. I'm giving you the record of Jesus, my son. It's perfect. You see, the body and blood is God's feast for us. It's, it's, it's his meal that he prepared that will change our lives. Jesus pays the penalty that we deserve for our sin. Jesus cleanses us and washes us with his blood. But not only that, he changes our hearts, friends. When we receive it, when we take in, when we eat this meal of Jesus, he changes us. And that heart that's dead starts to beat again with love for the Father. We were made to love him. And we start caring, like, I want to follow you, God. I want your way, not my way. This meal that Jesus is talking about here, where he says, you know, if you, if you receive it, not only do you abide in me, but I in you, we become one. He comes in us and changes us in this. This meal is exclusive. So this is like, if, if we're going to come to this meal, it's kind of like when, we, when Jane and I went to India, and on the latter couple of days, we went out into the community, and we were welcomed into some homes to have a meal there. 
And, and let's be honest, when you go into another country, a foreign country, and you're invited into a home, you have no clue what you're going to be fed. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and so it would be inhospitable. It would be, it would be dishonoring to go in there and, uh, and not eat their food. You have no clue what you're getting into. You don't have no clue how spicy it's going to be. And, uh, and, we, and we go in and we sit down and they have everything all prepared and, because they spent all day long preparing this meal for us. And they had special seats of honor and we sit down and they begin to serve us. You know, before, during our, our we, were, we, we had been doing a training for pastors and they made the American version for us gringos. They made it for us, for us white people who don't know spicy. So they had the American version. And then they had their version. That didn't happen here when we went into their home. We got to eat their food. It was an honor and a privilege. And so we sit down and we're getting dished up. And, and uh, again, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And it, it looks edible on the plate, right? And uh, it may not be what you cooked yourself. And uh, so, you know, I'm looking at it and, and going like I, this... I do not like this. I don't want it. So I pull a granola bar out of my pocket and I just open it up and I start eating it. I did not do that. I did not do that. Right? Right? You're in your heart. You're like, what the heck? Are you our pastor? Leave now. Let's go. I didn't do that. Why? It's dishonoring, right? That's so wrong. You know, it oftentimes happens in our homes. Some of you, you know, parents with kiddos, like you bring a meal to the table, you worked on it, and the kid's are like, what? This? Can I have? No. This is your meal. This is your meal. There aren't options. We like going to the buffet. You know, we like going to the King's, you know, New City Buffet, not King's Walk, just, I didn't say that publicly, but don't go there. New City Buffet. Pizza Ranch, we like options, right? I go to a restaurant, I want a menu. I want to have a choice, right? I like my control. There ain't no control. There ain't no menu. It's just Jesus. Eat me. Eat my body. Drink my blood. This is it. You don't get options. You don't get to bring your own meat. It's not a BYOM. You don't go smoke your own, grill it up and bring it. There's only one meal. And that's mine, and it's my body. Oftentimes, we, we still do that. We want to exert that control. That's part of the heart issue. My way. I want my way. Whether that's we try to bring some of our own good works. Like, I'm still trying. Like, Jesus, let me do my own thing. Like, see? See, I'm, 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 see how I'm good enough for you? I come to church, or I didn't do bad things, or whatever it may be, or... Or, or we just like, you know, I want to dabble in the world. Jesus, I, like, I, I just want to be able to do kind of a little my own thing on the side, and then I want to do your thing. There's only one meal. There's only one way. It's his way or hell. What are you doing with Jesus, friends? How are you responding? the meal he set before you and me this meal will change your life it will save you now jesus disciples 
or those who were following him, because there's two groups of disciples here. So we move on here in, in verse 16. Now, they're hearing this as well, and they're also having a problem. The people who had been kind of like with Jesus maybe from, from the time of, the, uh, of the turning water into wine, and, and they've seen the miracles. But they get to this point of Jesus' teaching, and they're like, whoa, this is, this is some hard stuff. Who can, who can receive this? You know, you know, there's some food, right, that's hard to swallow. Like you get it in your mouth, and it's like, oh, that's worse than I thought. Oh. It's hard to swallow. And they're like, this is hard to swallow, Jesus. I don't, I don't know that we can handle this. You know, what, 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 the question should come up for us, like, what, why, why was it hard for them? Was it just because they were like, we can't become cannibals? I'm sorry. We have got, we've got morals here. Some of us, we got, we got, you crossed the line, Jesus. It's more than, it, it's so much more than that. It was hard to conceive. What Jesus, they understood Jesus as he was explaining it. He is the only source of eternal life. He alone. He was equating himself with God then. And this talk about this eternal life and spiritual life, this didn't quite resonate with their expectations. You see, because they were expecting, it's Passover, previous deliverer, happened, we're waiting that deliverer, but we need deliverance from political persecution and rule. We need national liberation. Jesus isn't talking about revolution. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something different. His, his, his liberation, who he is, isn't fitting their idea of a Messiah and king. It was, it was hard because it was hard to conceive. How can you, what's this eternal life? Make it, like, I want salvation now. I want to be free from these Romans. I want to be a nation once again. Oh, we want David back. Sit on the throne. We want the glory days. It's hard to conceive how eternal life could be better than freedom from political rule and oppression. It was hard to receive. There's too much of a cost because Jesus was saying, it's just me and I'm God. Which meant that we've got to surrender to this guy. He's a, he's a, he's a man. We're to, we're, to, we're to surrender to him? It was hard to conceive. It was hard to receive. It was hard to believe. How can this man be greater than Moses? He's just a man. And oftentimes this happens for us. Jesus isn't what we, we, we expect him to be. He's not putting out the results that we expected him to. My circumstances should be changed. We talked about it last week, right? How we tend to expect heaven on earth. And we ask the question, why when bad things happen? Rather than realizing this world is infected by sin. Infected with death and disease. This world needs to be made new. We should be asking the question, why does anything good happen? If we understand the grace of God, if we understand our sin, then our expectations will be appropriate and not expecting Jesus to be some kind of magical genie or Santa Claus to make me feel differently and to make my life better, healthy, wealthy, and wise. So Jesus explains, here, do you take offense to this? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? 
What if you see, Jesus is saying here, what if you see me raised up on the cross? You think you have a hard time believing what I'm saying right now. You're going to have a hard time believing when you see me dying. How can this be the Messiah? He's, not, he's supposed to be triumphant. He's supposed to ascend to the throne. And he's on the cross? He's in weakness? He's dying? He's this bloody mess? You think you're going to have problems believing me based on my teaching? You haven't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen me in my glory. See, I'm going to get, it's going to get lower. Because I'm going to, I got to get low. I got to become the, 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 the most horrendous thing in all creation in order to get under everything and lift it up on my shoulders. In the resurrection, I will make all things new. He goes on to explain, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Okay, you're missing the point if you're going literal. The flesh isn't what's at, at stake here. There's some things spiritual I'm speaking to. Real life, eternal life here. That's at work because of the spirit. It's not about, it's not about eating my flesh. Okay, put away the barbecue sauce. All right. It's not about drinking my blood. The things I'm talking about here are spirit and life. There's something I want to do in you. There's, I want to change this whole world, this whole universe. And we're gonna, but it starts with me being king in you, inside you. Will you receive me? Will you believe? Jesus goes on to, it goes on to explain, he knew who were his from the beginning. And he says this in 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And so these disciples, these other disciples, they leave. And they never turn back. Do you get that? They never turn back. Jesus' life ain't done. His miracles ain't done. They never turn back. But Simon and the disciples say, you, you are the source of eternal life. We see. And Jesus explains, have I not chose you? Now, this gets into some language here that's, that's uncomfortable for us. And we wonder about, what does this mean that, 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 that no one can come to Jesus unless the, the Father draws him? This was mentioned earlier in last week's passage. Friends, salvation is God's and God's alone from beginning to end. You see, God provided Jesus to pay our penalty and to pay our price. We all in and of ourselves, are rebellious. We have this spirit of like, I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm not going to follow you. This spirit in us is in all of us instinctively. We choose it. That highway to hell we talked about, we choose it. What we need is an intervention. We need somebody. We need something to open our eyes to see, no, there's a better way. There's Jesus. Turn back and look. You can see we need something to pull the veil back on our eyes. Someone to open our heart to be able to see, no, Jesus is the only hope for salvation. Because left to ourselves, we won't, friends. We're on a dead sprint. And what Jesus is talking about is this word. I mentioned this word, this concept to you last week, prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. It means that God must intervene. 
in our hearts in order for us to see Jesus and believe. We are responsible for our rebellion. We keep choosing that. God in his mercy could just leave us to that. But no, he's intervening. He's working in your life and around you at all times to try to get you to open your eyes and see he's at work. We need it. And he will waken us to, to be able to see Jesus and choose him. But we've got to choose him. This choice is still ours. Once we see Jesus, we still have that choice of believing. It's not all done. We have a responsibility that's consistent over and over. We are responsible for believing. This brings up the question of, did Jesus said, I chose them. Does God choose us or do we choose him? Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Well, this brings up questions. Well, is God select, like, what, what about those people who haven't heard? Or is God select, he only chooses certain people for him? We need to understand God's heart, all right? God, God isn't somehow picking some of his favorites out or, or anything like that. Once again, we have to really untruly understand we are choosing to run away, okay? This is God's heart. I want you to look at a couple of passages here. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You hear God's heart there in these verses. He wants all to come to him. This is good and pleasing in 1 Timothy 2. It pleases the sight. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. There's more context here, obviously, but hear the heartbeat of God. It is God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's heart is for all to come. What's the problem? We don't want to. God's got to awaken us. That doesn't necessarily mean that when we are awakened and we see that we will choose to believe. What this reminds us, friends, is salvation from beginning to end is God. We didn't bring ourselves to God. We weren't good enough. We weren't wise enough. We weren't insightful enough. We didn't bring ourselves to God. God has done all the work for our salvation from beginning to end. And I ask you, for those of you who've come to Jesus, look back at your story. Look back at your story and see how God in his grace and his fingerprints, he brought certain people into your life. He brought certain circumstances into your life. He, he, he started to change you. And you realize, you know what? I did not have these desires that are in my heart, they were not there before. I know what's happening in me is not me. I didn't create this. There is something going on inside me. And if you're hearing this and you're like, I haven't experienced that, let's talk. I want Jesus. Something's happening. Something's happening. So what? first off, we should be reminded in this sermon today what Jesus is saying, God is... God saves us alone, through Jesus alone. Salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, through Jesus alone. Our response is to respond. Our responsibility is to respond to Jesus. But it's all done by Jesus. It's all done by God. And we can, you know what should lead us to do? is praise. It should lead us to worship. That his grace has touched me, that I should see and that I should believe. 
And you know what should also cause us to, friends, as we respond here today? Pray. Pray. Pray for our, our, our family members. Pray for our neighbors. Pray for our coworkers. Pray for their hearts that they would be open, that God would move, and that they would respond. That they would believe. Pray. Left to ourselves, friends. We're looking for that buffet. Give me a menu, Jesus. But Jesus alone offers himself as a meal. The meal that'll change your life. It'll change you inside. It'll change you for eternity, your hope. But we've got to eat it. We've got to come and eat it. It's only his meal. We can't say, no, 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 I, I want something different. I want some fries with that. Your way, God. Your way. And let's praise and worship him for his grace that we see and believe. Let's pray, friends, for others' hearts to be opened and to be moved and to respond. And maybe that's happening to you. If it's stirring in you, respond. Come. Talk with me. Talk with Pastor Friday. Talk with one of our leaders here today. Respond now. We have the worship team come on forward. Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus, for your word to us. Lord, we, we oftentimes take for granted this, this truth that you are God's provision alone. And we forget the other truth, the other reality, that we instinctively are prone to choose what we want. Our way, not your way. Lord God, let our hearts see this morning. For those who have come to you, let us see all the dots of how you brought us to yourself. Whether it was even a Christian home. We didn't deserve that. That was your grace. And we grew up knowing about you and chose you in the midst of that. Or that you dramatically saved us and brought us out of deep darkness and abuse and addiction. and Whatever it may be. And you saved us and changed us. You do all the work. God, thank you. And Lord, for those who are realizing, I don't, I don't have those dots. I, I, I don't know that I've ever come to decide and believe. I've just kind of gone with the flow. Or I've been relying on my own, my own goodness. Holy Spirit, I pray, open hearts now. That they may see you and re believe and receive you as the only way. In your name, amen.